This is Fashion in Focus, the weekly New Zealand fashion podcast covering our creative world from a unique perspective. My name is India Leishman. And I'm Murray Bevan. And every week, we'll connect you with the leading designers, editors, influencers, and stylists from all over the world. If you love fashion, this is the podcast for you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Fashion in Focus, the podcast based in Auckland, New Zealand, brought together by Showroom 22. Today is Monday, the 20th of April, and it's the beginning of Fashion Revolution Week around the world. Fashion Revolution Week was started uh, a few years back uh, to commemorate the Rana Plaza disaster in Bangladesh, where 1,132 people died uh, in a garment factory. How the fashion world has changed since then has been remarkable. And the word sustainability has been the one on most people's lips around the world. Some brands have taken it and run with it and made it part of their DNA. And other brands have maybe made it not so much of their DNA, but they're still giving it a go. And around the world, consumers are also being asked to question everything from how much they pay for things, how much they value their items, where they shop, and how often they shop. Today, it's a real pleasure to welcome Jacinta Fitzgerald to Fashion and Focus. Jacinta is one of New Zealand's foremost advisors on sustainability and the circular economy, uh, and she runs her own business consultancy called Make Good. And it's a real pleasure to welcome Jacinta today to Fashion and Focus. Hi, Jacinta. Hi, Murray. Great to be here. Great to have you here too. So thanks for putting aside some time, Jacinta. I think this is a topic that this week especially, but in general, I think the fashion industry is hoping that more and more people become aware of and that there's information out there in the world that people can really digest easily and understand and it helps inform them to make really great decisions about their purchases and their habits as a consumer. Now your specific journey, I'll start that again. Now, Jacinta, your journey into sustainability came as a result of your own work in the fashion industry, where you could see the scale of the impact that you were actually contributing to. Tell us about your previous roles in fashion design and the supply chain, and what was that tipping point when you decided to change your focus? Um, so for me, really, I've always been interested in fashion from right from a very young age. I used to make clothes for my dolls. I made my own um, clothes all the way through my teenage years. So really fashion has been part of my life right from the very beginning, um, handed down from my mum, I guess. She used to make outfits that she saw in vogue off the top of her head. Um, so it was really something that was in our family. And also I'm from a large family, I'm one of nine. And so basically lived on hand-me-downs unless I wanted to make something for myself. So right from that age, I learned to understand how clothes were put together, um, what went into making them, the amount of time and the amount of skill, I guess you could say, that actually went into making a garment. And so I really started to understand the value of, of our clothes right from that age. And that also sparked something creatively for me. And so I went to fashion design school um, and started my journey through the industry as a designer and product developer. Um, working for a number of brands, you know, well-known and some not so well-known from Exposé and Moontide, Fairform, um, 
Dreamgirls back in the early days and then um, made my way to Stax, which isn't in business anymore, but at the time was, I guess, a mid-market um, fashion fashion company. Um, right before, so Stax was quite big before the time of the fast fashion brands really moving into the market. Um, we made all our clothes in New Zealand. We had our own factory. We were based in Tauranga, had our own factory there and also um, outsourced manufacturing around the country. I think we had about 28 stores at our height. Um, and I worked my way up to head of design at that company and was there for nearly nine years. Um, and in that time, I got to see the progression of the tariffs coming off imports into New Zealand. Um, and so I got to see the impact that that actually had on our local manufacturing, all the way from design through to the production in our own factory. As, as import tariffs came off, cheaper imports came into New Zealand into the marketplace and consumers' expectations around price started to change. And in order mm. for us to remain viable, we actually had to uh, meet the market at that same point. So we started to move our production offshore as well. Um, and that, that gradually led to us closing down our own factories in New Zealand and, and basically outsourcing everything overseas. So that was really the start of my insight into the impacts that, that these, I guess, globalised supply chains really have on actually the nature of making our clothes. Mm. Um, I, I subsequently left there and started my own brand, which I ran for about four and a half years. Um, initially, I had a store in Tauranga and then I was wholesaling around New Zealand. And at that time, I, I guess I was trying to do what I thought was right. This was 2008 to 2012. Um, buying organic cotton, making organic cotton denim jeans locally. I was using tin cells, so lots of fabrics. So it was really, really, really hard to source these fabrics, but um, I really believed at that time that it was really important to have low-impact materials, and those were the things that were just starting to come into the market. Um, and everything was made locally. It was a real challenge um, in terms of, I think, consumer expectations around price. And so while I was able to maintain my business, I, I was really coming up against this price expectation and price pressure all the time. And quality was less of an importance for customers and quantity was becoming much more important. And so it, all of these things kind of crashed together in my head and I was like, this is not the fashion that I grew up on. This is not what I really loved about the fashion industry was the ability to kind of self-expression, creativity, reinvention, all of those things and the craftsmanship, but they all seem to be lost. And mm. this all caused me to step back and just go, you know, we've lost our way. I really want to figure out how I can do this differently because I don't believe in this system anymore. Mm. Um, and so I actually went back to university at that point and I did a one year research thesis into sustainability in the fashion industry. And that opened my eyes to, this world that was going on outside of the shores of New Zealand. Um, mm. And what year would that have been, Jacinda? 2012. Yeah. Right. Um, and at that time, there was there was a little bit happening around the world. A lot of a lot of initiatives starting off in Europe, mostly run through academia. Um, there was a few a few things in, happening in the UK. Um, Stella McCartney had just started looking at organic cotton. There were a few other brands um, that were 
experimenting with, you know, different fibres and materials and different processes, but it was very early days in terms of what sustainable fashion actually mm. meant. Um, and that, that really opened my eyes to all of these possibilities around consumption and the way that we view our clothes and what they actually mean um, around environmental and social impacts of making our clothes, all those sorts of things. Uh, and then from there, I, I really set out to try and be part of the solution to the problem that I had seen. Um, the problem of, you know, as, as I mentioned, excessive production and consumption, environmental degradation that was happening, um, particularly in Asia and Southeast Asian factories, uh, and the social inequities that were coming up in global manufacturing supply mm. chains from price pressure. So. Did you find at that time that the industry was tuned into this or were most brands just focused mostly on getting out of that GFC time and making as much money as they could and their priorities were different? And also, how did you feel that, that New Zealand consumers were focusing on things like sustainability? Was it even something that, that entered most of their minds? It wasn't even registering. Um, it, it wasn't a thing, and I think that uh, so maybe a little bit in academia, which is which is what would have sparked the idea for me. But really, when I looked around the New Zealand market, um, there wasn't a lot happening at that time. It, um, I know there's a couple of brands that had started by that point that were working in that way, but it wasn't talked about as sustainability. And so, the idea that there was a different way and a better way of doing things just wasn't part of the mindset mm. of consumers and of brands. I think I think the idea that we were causing harm by the way that we were doing things wasn't part of the mindset. So the fact that we could be doing it better didn't even enter into it. Mm. Um, so it was really looking at the international um, markets and seeing what was happening over there and starting to try and understand the impacts from that point. Mm. And we did a, a podcast recording a little while ago with Karen Walker, and she was talking about the fact that she's probably been feeling the sort of slight pressures from her customers, and that's been growing, but she's been feeling that for about the last 10 years with, you know, forces around consumers starting to, uh, you know, buy fewer things, but buy better quality and, and feedback from her customers, you know, asking questions around sustainability and transparency. But to me, the, the industry is really, uh, it's taken a hold of the industry in New Zealand and around the world, probably in the last four to five years mostly, but incredible uh, growth has been made in, in, the, in the industry in sort of the last 12 to 24 months. Jacinda, from your point of view, who are some of the brands now that, may have been doing this for a while and, and people have caught on and they've been ahead of the curve or maybe someone who's new and has, has started with this as part of their DNA. But regardless of how old they are, who's doing it well in New Zealand and around the world and, and who should other brands look to for guidance? Um, so I guess I'll take a step back from that for a minute and just talk a little bit about sustainability because I think it's such a broad concept that... Mm. It doesn't have one answer. Um, it doesn't, there is no way of being sustainable or not being sustainable. It's, it's a continuum and really it's a way of thinking about the way that you design, produce and um, systems that you put in place for the end of life of your garments. It's a way that you think about the impacts that you have and what you give back and the give and take cycle that you have with earth and with nature. And so I don't think that there is any one way of being sustainable and there's no one brand that is doing a great job of being sustainable. I think mm. there are lots of different 
levels of people doing a good job in different areas of the market depending on the products that they produce. Yeah, and that's great to hear you say that because I think for a lot of people the word sustainability is a little bit loose, maybe very loose. Um, There's no one, like you said, there's no one way to do it Uh, and maybe there are consumers thinking that certain brands are sustainable because they say that they've got a sustainable line of product uh, and there's other ones who don't scream and shout about it at all because it's been a part of their DNA since day dot. So it's just, it's actually business as usual for them. So yeah, yeah. it's good for you to discuss that because I think a lot of people listening to this are still asking what is sustainability. Yeah. And I think, I think it's really important to think from a consumer perspective, to think about just being considerate and mindful in the way that you make decisions. And then from a business perspective, it is the same thing. It's being mindful and making conscious decisions based on information that you have about the implications of those decisions, um, you know, in a, in a broad sense, I guess. Um, so just going back to your question about brands that are perhaps doing a good job, I, I know you had Gosha from Koto on earlier. I would say Koto are one of the, the leaders in being a, um, a sustainable brand um, and have been since they started. And, and I've been working um, around the world, talking to people around the world about these things. And I always use Koto as an example. It's, it's like the the ethos is built into the brand and every single facet of their decisions um, from the everything is fully traced. Like, so, so when I say traced, I mean that they are able to go right back to the farm that they source their cotton and their wool from. Mm. They know exactly the processes and the, and the supply chain of making their products. Everything's designed to, um, to be circular. So what, what that means is that they don't mix biological and technical components into a garment so that the garment can actually be either composted or recycled at the end of its life. So they, they mm. take a really good life cycle approach to design mm. and to manufacture. So they would be a really good example. Um, also in terms of their design ethos, because they are designing more timeless pieces, they're not fashion cyclical pieces. Mm. In, in, other, in other ways, so they use organic cotton, that's a, that's a natural fiber, it, it has a particular um, aesthetic and life cycle to it, but there are other brands that are that are equally as good that are working in completely different ways. So, for example, um, another brand that I really love overseas is Nudie Denim. It's a jeans brand out of Sweden, and they um, they use organic cotton. They use a they have a they have a supply chain predominantly through Europe. They they are able to trace their entire supply chain as well. They actually pay one of the very few brands in the world that pay living wages to their workers in their garment factories and in their um, in the rest of their supply chain. So that's that's a that's an incredible achievement for a brand to to make. And lots of brands have really found that a sticking point. So they they're doing a great job there. And they also do they have initiatives in place where they take responsibility for the full life cycle of their products which is a key area as we start to look at what the future of the fashion industry looks like we really need to be considering the full product life cycle and product stewardship from a brand perspective and so nudie jeans are a great example of that they Mm. take back all their garments they resell them if they're able to if they can't resell them they repair them or they recycle them um, and they've just started an amazing initiative in Australia. So through their retail stores in Australia, when they get garments back, they have partnered with a local textile mill there to 
make the garments that are not resaleable into blankets. So they right. basically recycle the fiber and, and make them into blankets, which they can then sell. So that, that's a full, almost a full circular approach mm. to their product, which I think is, is really key as we move into a world where resources are becoming scarcer and we're really having to think about the impact that we have in terms of what we take from the planet. Mm. And just um, you mentioned the word circular there, and I suppose yeah. this big, this big bad world or big good word of sustainability has many different facets. And one of the things that I've personally found a little bit harder to grasp onto is this notion of a circular economy, uh, because it's easy easy to look at when you're looking at a diagram, because it, it literally isn't a little perfect round circle, and you can see where everything's going. Can you just break down? There's a really great diagram on your Make Good website about the circular economy and it shows you the obvious steps that that things fashion pieces go through from design and concepting to waste um tell us about how the circular economy links those 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 ends back together again uh and some of the ways that um that people are starting to do that within the industry now Okay, sure. So really the idea behind a circular economy is that there is no waste. Waste is basically a design flaw and so it is designed out from the beginning and all the materials that are used to create a product are kept in use and by the word materials I mean anything that has gone into that product. So dye stuffs, um, you know, fabrics, yarns, trims, etc. And the, the, the whole idea behind the circular economy is it's again that life cycle full life cycle thinking of the materials. So the materials enter into the life cycle of a garment, for example, and they get designed into a particular weave of fabric, into a particular style. They get manufactured, they get distributed in whichever way, they get sold to the customer, the customer uses them. Traditionally what's happened is when the customer's finished using them, they get rid of them they may no longer have use for it or it might be damaged, et cetera. So they, could, they generally either dump it in their, in their rubbish bin or as is starting to happen now, they are being resold through various um, secondhand platforms, becoming a lot more common. The idea behind a circular economy is that those resources are captured and reused and never go to landfill. So at the moment, it's a very um, sort of broad slightly intangible concept and there is no uh, really fail-safe solution available in the world right now for it mm. but again if we take a step back and look at it into is the same way that we looked at sustainability where there's no one answer there's multitude of answers the circularity and circular economy for clothes is very similar there is no one solution to how to make clothing circular mm. there are different solutions depending on the material composition that is used in the garment the type of style that is made um, and so at a high level those materials are kept in use forever what's starting to happen within the industry now is a multitude of smaller solutions on the way to that end goal where some fibers are able to be recycled. I talked about the nudie jeans example. That's a mechanical recycling process for their cotton. Uh, there is chemical recycling of, of cotton happening at the moment and which is made into new cellulose fiber like tensile or viscose. And there are starting to be some solutions where polyester and cotton blend materials can, can be recycled into 
new materials. Mm. So these things are starting to happen at a, at a small level. Um, but as well as that, there are a lot of innovations happening in terms of materials getting reused before they need to be recycled. So they might be, um, a garment might be designed for disassembly. It might be then disassembled once the user has finished with it. And those pieces are then remade into something else of equal value or higher value. Mm. So, that, so I'm not sure if that explains it well enough, but it's, but it's this idea yeah, that great. materials never go to, to the waste at whatever point in the chain that happens. Mm. And all these terms that get used around sustainability and, you know, circular economies and transparency, et cetera, there's, as you've said, there's no right or wrong way to do it. And what we're obviously seeing now is the, the word sustainability has been widely used in fashion because it's become a bit of a, a marketing tool, I suppose. What's your view on brands that, that use a term of sustainability as a marketing tool? And is it unfair for us to point our finger at them or persecute them at all? Because after all, doing something surely is better than nothing. What's your view on that? So this is a can of worms. <laughs> mm. um, I think from my perspective is that it's an investment for a brand to be working in a more sustainable way. It costs money and really it's important that that brand is able to communicate that work that it's doing in order for its customers to appreciate the additional value that has gone into creating that uh, particular uh, product, line, collection, um, fabric, etc. So I think it's, I definitely think brands need to be talking about sustainability and communicating the work that they're doing. But I also think it's important that there is data to back up what's happening. There is a lot of, a lot of, uh, talk about sustainable collections or this material's recycled, therefore it's, it's sustainable. The word is used um, a lot and it's overused and it really doesn't have a lot of meaning. So I think it's really, really important for brands that are putting the work and the money into making improvements that they are able to talk about the actual impact that they're having or the actual work that they're doing rather than just we're sustainable because mm. it really doesn't have any meaning. Mm. So you'll see with um, all words that recently came out with their carbon footprint tag on their shoe. That's an example of like they've measured the impact and they're communicating that impact. And it's an actual metric that they've gone out and understood so that they can then work on reducing it. Mm. The same can happen with materials. Um, brands are now starting to, analyze their material portfolios and determine, you know, this year we've got 50% sustainable materials. I'm using speech marks when I say that. And next year we're going to be 75% sustainable materials. Like that's great, but as long as the information is provided to back up those comments mm. and that it's completely transparent. And by using the word transparent, I mean that it's visible to consumers and to industry organizations and NGOs that are watchdogs that are out there looking for that information. I mm. think it's really imperative that there's more data and impact talked about than just the word sustainable. Mm. And again, you've led me perfectly into this next little talking point around the word transparency. For some of the brands that we talk to week to week, that has become the new benchmark is transparency. And again, there is no 100% transparency. 
um, well, I don't, I can't see any examples of it. And I don't think people are, are looking for that goal because the goalposts are probably forever moving. But tell me from your point of view, the difference between a brand working towards better transparency and clearer transparency, as opposed to just throwing around this word sustainability, which has seemed to garner so much brand value recently. Talk us through that idea around transparency and what that means. So I think we really need to look at um, the purpose of transparency. Transparency is a, is a process to go through in order to understand and communicate your supply chain, but it's not an end goal. It's that the end goal of doing transparency is that you can then understand your supply chain and start to make improvements or reduce your impact. So transparency has been open about the factories that you manufacture with, for example, the source of your, um, your cotton or other aspects of your supply chain. So being open about your, your supply chain and your processes publicly is what we talk about as transparency. Um, Fashion Revolution do an annual transparency index where they look at what brands talk about. So they look at the global top 100 fashion brands and they, they look at policies and actions that they communicate. They look at um, how much they talk about their different aspects of their supply chain, etc. So really being open about the work that they're doing. And so transparency is really the public facing communication tool of what's happening behind the scenes. Mm. And I think it's really important that brands are transparent, but I also think that ultimately it does come down to understanding your impacts so that you can measure them so that you can then start to make improvements. And some brands being transparent about their supply chain is not necessarily the answer. Mm. For a lot of small brands, they have spent years building up a, um, you know, a network of, of suppliers and it's, and it's really challenging for them to then go and share the names of all of those suppliers. So there are definitely areas where transparency is not necessarily the right way or the, mm. or the right answer. And I suppose there's good examples of, of transparency and open source information sharing around the world. Going back to Allbirds again, I know that when they were creating their sweet foam product, uh, they used a company in Brazil and the company had to invest a, a huge amount of money into upgrading one of their factories in order to actually create this product. Uh, and Allbirds have actually, um, encouraged other companies to use this product at no cost they haven't put a trademark patent on it and said you can't use it what they're hoping to do is is tell more people about the idea tell more people about the product point them in the direction of this great factory that makes it so that they can make more of it and drive the price down so everyone mm. actually wins from the, that's great, from the isn't it? companies not a, to the consumer and that's that's a great end goal, I suppose, of a really smart idea at the front end. Um, but like you said, transparency, it can't be across everything. Obviously, things like price points and margins and things, you know, you could be transparent with all of that kind of thing, but that's basic business knowledge. And, you, you know, you're not about to go down to every single business that you deal with now and say, open up your books, I need to see everything. So there's got to be also limitations, I suppose, to what the consumers can demand of brands and also to what brands should feel that they are obliged to maybe um, divulge in their supply chains and how they run their businesses. 
Yeah, agreed. And I think, you know, that business intellectual property aspect is really important, particularly for smaller brands. Um, for brands like Allbirds, where they have open sourced a lot of their technology to make it accessible to other brands and really try and shift the system at a systems level, um, that obviously works well from, for them from a communications perspective and from a price perspective. And that's, that's great to have those brands there leading the way, but it does require a certain level of um, financial commitment on behalf mm. of the supplier and of the brand. That sort of similar concept can happen in um, fashion brand supply chains as well in terms of things like certifications around organic textiles um, or other chemical certifications, which are really costly exercises for, for brands and suppliers to go through. So the idea of companies joining together to meet those costs, that's where, that's where some transparency does come in useful as well when, when suppliers are transparent about other brands that they work with so that mm. those brands can communicate with each other mm. and try and drive change collectively, mm. which I think is another, another way of looking at that um, benefit of transparency. And that concept of the collective, I think, is going to come out of this COVID-19 situation that the whole world is obviously in right now. And from people that I've been speaking to, not only in the fashion industry, but also in media and other industries, the idea that people need to um, drop their guard a little bit and share information is going to be you know, brought to the fore because more in, now more than ever, companies may need to look sideways to their neighbours and say, I need a helping hand. Can you share with this? Can we split the costs on that, etc.? Now, Jacinta, you're on the board of Mindful Fashion New Zealand. And that, to me, uh, and you can clarify this with your description, but there's a sense there also of New Zealand brands working together and sharing a bit of information and having access to other types of information to help them move forward uh, with supply chain and transparency and, and, and maybe even get uh, pointed in the direction of suppliers and and other partners of the industry that can make them more sustainable can you talk us through um that organization and, and how they're helping new zealand fashion designers in particular so mindful fashion was established i think a year ago now to 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 collectively strengthen the new zealand fashion and textiles industry um, it was founded by kate sylvester and emily miller sharma from ruby and they, they basically came together with a number of other um, designers from New Zealand uh, to, to look at ways that we could work together to strengthen the industry in a collective way um, and really to, to look at how, how the New Zealand garment industry, local manufacturing, local fabric sourcing, how all of those different areas of the industry could work together to all achieve a common purpose, which was this long-term sustainable growth idea. So it's really, it's really early days for the organization. And at the moment with COVID-19, um, our, our support is really working with, working with industry to work through the different stages of COVID-19. But the long-term goal is to really strengthen our local industry and, and make it a sustainable, long-term viable prospect for everybody. Mm, that's fantastic. Uh, and just into lastly, this week, obviously, we're in uh, April 20th here. Uh, this whole week, which used to be just a day, and it's uh, grown into this great week in commemoration around the world and, and a real movement, 
Um, we're commemorating the Rana Plaza disaster in Bangladesh, where I mentioned in our intro that 1,132 people died and many more thousands were injured. Uh, and Fashion Revolution Week has, want, has been one of those driving forces that's actually united people with great purpose from consumers to brands and, and really lit a fire under people to say, we all need to be better. Tell us about this week from your point of view, what it means for not only the work that you do, but also the wider industry. And what are some of your wishes for the future for this kind of industry-wide focus and, and driving designers and brands to just be better? Um, so Fashion Revolution really is a global movement that was founded in the UK and it runs all year long, but, but really this week is, is the penultimate week of activities and consumer activism and brand activism, uh, pushing for a fairer, uh, better fashion industry, a safer, cleaner and fairer industry, really. Um, and the idea is that all of us, each and every one of us, whether we're a brand, a designer, a consumer, we work for the government, we all have the power to determine the kind of world that we want to live in, and we all have the power to make change. And so that individual power comes down to the clothes that we choose to buy and wear. And as a brand, that power comes down to the way that they produce their garments and um, the impact that they have on those garments. And so really the idea behind Fashion Revolution is getting everybody to stop and think about what they're wearing, to think about, they, they have a couple of great hashtags, who made my clothes is one, so really questioning brands, but also questioning themselves. I think it's a chance for people to pause and think, oh, the piece, I've, the piece of clothing I'm wearing is actually made by human hands. And that's not something that we really do in our day-to-day -day lives. I think at the moment, we have a little bit more time. So Fashion Revolution has perhaps come at a really good time this year where people have time to stop and reflect more. And so this idea of who made my clothes and this year, Fashion Revolution have also introduced What's in My Clothes, which talks about composition, uh, fabric composition, what goes into a garment, is really an opportunity for consumers to, I don't like that word, but consumers to be thinking about actually there's something more to the layer of, gar of clothing that they wear. And there's, you know, there's people involved, there's materials, and there's different impacts happening on every piece of garment that they're wearing. And so it's an opportunity for that pause and reflection. And it's also an opportunity for activism to ask their favorite brands, to ask any fashion brands, you know, tell me more, be more transparent, tell me who's making my garments, tell me what's in my clothes to try and drive more transparency, which will then drive more action. Mm. That's, the, that's the concept behind it. Um, back to your, to your second point. So I guess for me, this is a really good opportunity to just join forces with other like-minded people around the world. There's a lot of incredible um, events happening, far more actually than would normally happen because everybody's online and screaming out for some way to connect and collaborate. So there's a lot of incredible events happening. Um, and I would urge everybody to look at Fashion Open Studios, which is set up by Fashion Revolution where you get to go inside a number of different uh, fashion brands, designers, creators, makers, craftspeople, and really just see what's, what, you know, what goes into their creative processes. So that's a, that's a really amazing opportunity to, to look inside around the world at different organizations. And so my vision for a, a better fashion industry, the reason that I do what I do is really to create an industry that 
is regenerative. I am pushing now for brands that I work with to be thinking beyond sustainability. Sustainability is really almost maintaining the status quo. And I think now we need to be thinking about how we can do more. So I'm pushing brands that I work with to be thinking beyond that. And so my vision is, a, is an industry that is that has a net positive impact on people, on communities, on our psyches, on nature, and on workers. So my vision is an industry that is regenerative. And through my work with Make Goods, I am, I am encouraging, yeah, as I said, brands to work in that way and consider all of those elements in the in the way that they think about their businesses and the value that they create for their customers downstream and their suppliers upstream. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Jacinta. This has been a really enlightening little chat and perfect timing with Fashion Revolution Week upon us. Uh, if anyone's interested in getting in touch with Jacinta, uh, obviously her consultancy is called Make Good. The website is makegood.world. Uh, and I'm sure Jacinta would love to hear from each and every one of you, especially designers and industry players who are taking this time at the moment to um, re-up on all of this kind of thing, read about it, uh, make positive change, maybe bring forward plans that you were going to do in the next few years, say actually now's the time to crack into that. Um, so Jacinta, thank you so much for driving the industry and for having such passion in what you do. Uh, your knowledge and everything that you're bringing into the industry um, to help people both here and overseas is, is immense. So uh, I wish you all the very best and um, I hope that more and more of our industry people can connect with you in the future. Thanks, Murray. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks very much. That was the latest from Fashion and Focus. Thanks for tuning in and being a part of our conversation. If you want more, make sure you subscribe to get a fresh episode in your inbox every week. Check out more of our episodes on your favourite podcast feed and get in touch with us at fashionandfocus at showroom22.com.